0: And welcome to the first episode of 2019, which is episode 22. I feel like we've said that a lot, 22. But it is 22. I just went and checked before we came on air. But here we are. It's 2019. How are you doing, Will? Great. It feels so strange to say 20.
1: 2019 i know that if i would still be writing checks and things like that i'd be writing 18 and
0: then trying to scribble it out but nobody writes anymore anyway so uh, i'll just be typing things wrong for a while yeah there you go sunday 6th of january so uh yeah we're still early into this new year but yeah 2019 full of hope full of optimism full of impending doom in the u.s and uk yeah well i mean did you have a good christmas and new year I
1: did. I did. I had a wonderful trip to the Big Apple to, to New York City. Had uh, some great food that we'll get onto in a little bit. Yeah, very and, interested to hear about that. Some great drink. Uh, and then also headed up to uh, Southern Massachusetts for the rest of it. Unfortunately, it wasn't too cold. Uh, the rest of the country was Unfortunately. getting too sh- Unfortunately, because it wasn't cold enough to snow. So like, it was just like, it was that in between. So it was just like, yeah, the ground's hard. And it's funny, I went for a walk one, I think it was like Boxing Day, uh, through the woods. And it was one of those days that like, if it was in England, everyone would be like, this is the best Christmas day ever. Because it was like, bright, crisp, you know, you breathe out and you can see your breath and it's not rainy or windy. But like, for the Massachusetts folks, this is like, this is odd. Because <laughs> it's not snowing. Really? Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, I yeah. would like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would, I, I, um... I th- think it only got into the low 30s like once or twice, or that's wow. like
0: that zero degrees for the Celsius people. Jeez, well, yeah, no, thanks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how was uh, how was the the balmy south of England?
0: Yeah, balmy south of England was fine. Uh, yeah, good, good, good Christmas. Pretty good New Year. Quiet ones, but all around, But we actually went and did something on New Year's, which is very unusual for my wife and I. But we did. We went out and hung out with some friends and kids had a good time and. All that, so yeah, I know, it's good, and I I can't remember the last time we recorded. I don't know what episode it was, but I can't remember the date, so I'm very interested to hear about the food that you ate on your trip, because I'm confident that at least one of them is going to be your best thing you ate since we last recorded. Yeah, I don't know if
1: you know this, but New York has a lot of good restaurants. (laughs) I had no idea. (laughs) I I might make a bold statement. We were walking around, and I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but my wife was like... From a food perspective, London or New York? And I was like, I had to like basically stop while while walking and like, ooh, that's a that's a good one. Uh and and listeners, please weigh in. Um, I think those two obviously we're putting Tokyo in its own thing, just very different, but London and New York, mm-hmm. who does it better? What is better? I think there's a, a good argument to be made for both, but for me, I kinda landed on London just because they do more stuff well as opposed to New York, which does a lot of stuff, but you can't get like there are certain, you can't get certain things that you can get in England pretty well. You can't get good barbecue in London yet, or very few places. And you can't get good get, get, get pizza in London yet. But I think that the Commonwealth of Culinary Influences in London is just a bit more robust than New York. But
0: yeah. fight, fight me in the comments. No, I think I, 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 would, I would disagree, but it wouldn't be violently. I think I I mean I love London and I and I love London for its food but um, I think I would land on on New York.
1: I think New York is doing way more interesting things than London.
0: I don't think you can go wrong with either of them.
1: Well that's my point. I mean besides like we said Tokyo is there another challenger to those two cities for for doing interesting creative eclectic food?
0: Yeah, no. I know I don't think so. I think uh, I think Tokyo's Different in a way, Um, but I mean, it has has more Michelin star restaurants than New York, London, and Paris combined. But that for a food experience where you can get like good cheap food, yeah, maybe maybe it does. I don't know. I I, again, I don't think you can go wrong in any of any of those cities. I would be happy in any of them. (laughs) Well, speaking of uh,
1: speaking of Japan, our last episode being ramen. Uh, I think this is some of the most in-depth feedback we've had from an episode uh, so far. So thank you to everybody that took the time to respond and provide feedback. And as we clarified in the first up in in the episode, sorry, that uh, this was not going to be a deep dive, we are far too uh, greenhorn and far too uh, shallow of a podcast to be able to d- dedicate the 17 episodes that would be required to go through it
0: in as much depth as possible. So thank you for not yelling at us for that. Yeah, no, I, I, I was really delighted. I, I I thought this might be a popular episode. I think it's one of those dishes where if you don't like ramen... Uh, actually, I think there's two kinds of people now that I think about it. There's people that that uh love ramen, and there's people that have never had ramen. People that don't like ramen, I don't think they exist.
1: I think there could be people that are—we're getting into the other side of the looking glass where people are talking about it so much that people can build it up, and then they have it, and it might not be the best variety of it, and they're like, all that fuss for this— and that's the that's the the rub on anything that becomes popular. But uh, I think you're right. I think anyone who's never had ramen is nah, I wouldn't like it. It's oh, is it like seaweed water and you know weird fish? I'm like no, it's not. That's
0: just misrepresentation. So yeah, I, yeah. I really don't think that uh, if you've had ramen that's even remotely good, that you will um, go eh nah. I I just I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine that. I just, I'm, I'm getting angry thinking about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, one of our ardent listeners, uh, Fair range, uh, or Alan, as you pointed out, is probably the easier. So we don't butcher your name constantly. Uh, sorry about that, but thank you so much for your uh, in-depth feedback on on all things ramen. Uh, you mentioned that uh, skimin, which is the cold uh, the cold noodles in the warm broth, uh, is fairly frequently found in in LA, which is where somewhere where an area you spend a lot of time. Uh, you weren't sure about Northern California, but I will get back to you and see if it is something i can find uh but you said it's usually the broth is rather uh rather strong and dense comparing to typical ramen i like that i just need to get my dexterity around uh being able to do two things at once so that dumping it into the
0: the the broth at the same time and i don't know I just haven't, not, i've never it's not had it as hard as i think you might be over intellectualizing <laughs> it a little bit I, it's very easy and i'm glad that you can you can find it in in southern california now i i, I love it i think it's great yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, and then, Alan, you mentioned that you were at the Yokohama um, Cup of Noodle uh, Museum. Which, Alex, I think you went there. Did you guys go there as well? We we didn't no. Oh, sad. Uh, but you, uh, Alan, you pointed out that um, you saw quite a lot of. Um, I think I saw in your Instagram story that you can custom make different like varieties of the of the. Yes, you can noodle. make your make your own. They have one in Osaka too. That's super cool. And I think it, I saw you do some some sweet applications with savory like, – I think it was like ice cream with savory ramen toppings. So let us know how that was. Uh, that sounds a bit odd. But you pulled this interesting stat of uh, global demand for instant noodles uh, as of 2017, and uh, there was a large um, outlier in the country that consumes the most – and that would be Hong Kong. But it's not Alex, Hong Kong. To... It's,
0: it's China and Hong Kong. Right. Okay. So that's a little bit of a... China and Hong Kong. I mean, that's the most popular... China... I think, you know, be- Hong Kong does consume a lot of instant noodles, but China is the most populous country on earth. So it's not surprising that that, that status is 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 up there.
1: Yeah. So it was, it was China, Hong Kong, then Indonesia, then One of the most...
0: Yeah. Indonesia, one of the most popular, populous, populous countries. countries on earth.
1: And then uh, Japan, then India, and do, have you been following this news story about the Supreme Court of India ruling on on ramen? Actually, today, I mean, no, last week, I
0: did not see that.
1: It was not technically ramen it's um it's that that weird Swiss company that uh, we talked about a few years a few episodes ago um Maggie that, Maggie yes, yeah Maggie so Maggie has their own version of like a pot noodle, and uh, apparently they got taken to court in India because uh there were <laughs> the amount of lead that was found in their msg was dangerously uh elevated, and uh they were being taken to court for the m- basically misrepresentation and, and public endangerment. And the Supreme Court, after, I don't know, I think like 18 months worth of litigation, finally came out and said, nah, they're fine. This is just like a smear campaign. So apparently India loves their, they not saying it's ramen, but like their dried noodles as much as anywhere else in Southeast
0: Asia. So. Wow. Good to know. Wow. I, yeah, I was I was actually wondering where where India would be on that list. But I mean, relative to China, it's, 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 you know, orders of magnitude less, but still, very interesting stats. So thank you, uh, Alan, for, for doing that. We won't, again, butcher your username anymore. Uh, even though you sent us a pronunciation guide, which I thought was very kind of you. I was, <laughs> I, was uh, I was delighted by uh, Paul you. got in touch to say – to answer the last question you asked in the ramen episode, which was, I wonder what Brazilian ramen tastes like. And he said that there is a Brazilian ramen joint in Tokyo called – uh, akamaru and it's more like an izakaya at night but it was really good and it was almost like a minestrone like it was a really strong vegetable flavor there i, I don't see now i just have to try that
1: yeah i mean it, i i'm interested because it answers my question but it's japanese style in japan sorry brazilian style in japan i still want to know what japanese style in brazil would be like i guess my 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 point is more what are the variations on any food that we cover that are augmented based on what actually is available to the local market vegetables and meat wise
0: yes yeah no that's that's true uh i would be very interested to try it as well cuz you'd think it would be beef heavy maybe and maybe that's just me assuming that you would use something beefy,
1: yeah no, I agree and and maybe some of their lesser known vegetables that we don't know about, but if you if you're Brazilian and listen to the show, um uh, please reply
0: in English, my Portuguese is not very good well, there you go, and I like this uh this um uh well, it's not just a message, it's several photos from Anita who is a dedicated layovers listener, and this is like a a layovers mastication nascent crossover picture. it's listening to mastication nation while flying from London to San Diego on British Airways uh, and showing us the food. And interestingly, and I totally agree with her on this point, she posted two pictures of, of the kids' meals, which were way better than the uh, quote-unquote grown-up meals. And I, my kids always – they never eat them. I don't know why, but they they always get like mac and cheese and – uh, palm Bears and Cadbury's Animal Chocolate Biscuits and a Yo-Yo and a Baby Bell. Why would you want anything else compared to the to the you know, swill they serve you? And that's not just British Airways. Sure it's just anywhere in, in economy. So, yeah, that, that's cool. We should retreat this because there's some you, – you don't often see kids in flight meals. And this is um pretty telling.
1: Yeah, actually, everything in there – I mean, it's got chicken nuggets. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. <laughs> yeah,
0: the attendees. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was cool, and I, I I'm always interested. I don't know if this is a layover's comments or a mask. No, I probably both. I'm always interested to see in-flight meals. So tag us if you post one either on Instagram or on or on Twitter. We're at NTN on both. I think so. Tag I don't us. Don't think we have an. I mean,
1: do we have an Instagram? We should uh, if we, we don't. should
0: or tab, tag me or will um on 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 Instagram. Um, so that was cool. It was nice to have so much feedback on the ramen episode and those are, we had more, but those are the ones that we can, we have time to fit into this episode. Uh, I like this feedback we had on a couple of previous episodes. Um, I was drinking the, oh, this was from last episode, wasn't it? The Nika coffee whiskey, which I love. Uh, it's sitting up here on my, in my office, which is probably a bit dawn drapery, but there we are. Uh, and Chris Ratcliffe, at Chris Ratcliffe on Twitter, who is a S- Scotch and whiskey aficionado, if not expert, uh, said that you can actually find it now at a few whiskey specialists. But he also pointed us in the direction of this taster set that Master of Malt does, which is four different uh, 70 centiliter, that's 70, that's almost the size of a wine bottle, isn't it? Uh, yes. Oh wow! So it's the whole, it's the whole, it's the whole kit. I thought it was just little taster bottles. No, this is the full thing—the Nikka Coffee Series uh, kit. So you get the coffee malt whiskey, the coffee grain whiskey, which is what I have, the coffee gin, and the coffee vodka. So two hundred twenty-five pounds. Not bad. Chump oh, change. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not, it's not bad for what for the stuff that they they yeah, make. Yeah, my. Might... So.
1: My wife, me dropping $250 on alcohol, you know, it's, there's that inflection where it's like if you buy four things for 250 uh, pounds, you're an aficionado. If you buy like 100 things for 250 pounds, you're an alcoholic. Mm, it's, true. It's, it's a weird, yeah, it's a weird level. Uh, <laughs> and then and then uh, Damien Hogan uh, at Damien underscore Hogan uh, was responding to my t- trying of the lobster beer from last year. Yeah, I still episode. can't get over that. But – so he, he he threw out the idea of um, oyster stouts, which I've had before. I was reading this article that he sent over. I've had oyster stouts, but I always thought it was just sort of like a – not an urban legend that I had oysters in it. But it was almost like um, – but they just didn't do it anymore. Kind of like how Coca-Cola back in the day had extracts from the cocaine plant in it. It's like something – it's this throwback. It's the mentality. It's the, the old school um, technique. But apparently it's still – pretty common to use oysters in the stout making process i don't think i've ever tasted the oysterness maybe a salty brininess to it but an oyster stout is pretty common and you know you find it along your side your milk stouts or your uh you know any other of your normal ale style stouts and um i need to go back and take a look at some of the ingredients on the back of the ones i've had
0: yeah yeah i would like to know what it is too uh but he did the article points out
1: that um you know Guinness and oysters have been going hand in hand forever and in fact i knew this from some other research that i had done that oysters used to be the original bar snack um you know there would be people you know going down the street with a with a wheelbarrow selling them um to people who were drinking in porter houses which are the original pubs um and they would make people thirsty and drink more I would be a little concerned about eating roadside oysters in the 1800s, but whatever, you know, if it's your <laughs>
0: – It's really funny you mention that because um, I'm just reading A Movable Feast by Ernest Hemingway and he, this, when he was based in Paris and he talks about that, having a, a carafe of white wine with some oysters.
1: Yeah, it's funny. The, the article also mentions that everyone thinks champagne and oysters, but uh, dark beer and oysters has a far more ester- established heritage and is more authentic. Uh, so next time you're at a fancy brunch, order your Guinness with it, not your flutes of champagne. There you go. Well, <laughs> I'm
0: always uh, up for that.
1: And then uh, obviously it was the festive period. Um, and while most people were having some of the more traditional turkeys and beefs etc we had a number of people reach out to us with what they had for uh christmas day the first one i wanted to talk about was uh john young who's at one jy uh indian theme today paneer jalfrezi, tarka dal potato and coconut curry peas and paneer lemon rice garlic naan uh and a bum kuchen kuchen, yeah. yeah which is like okay indian indian Indian, austrian
0: okay it all sounds flipping amazing I know, and the photos,
1: like I, lo- I mean, like it, the photos from the um, Indian part of it. Uh, I'm going to assume uh, that this is all handmade, and, and hopefully, yeah, he says right. it that
0: is, is his his um, better half, better half, if you, yeah, it made it all.
1: Yes, and that looks that looks fantastic. Um, yeah, it does is that a usual thing for you guys to do Indian food on on Christmas, or is this like uh, the one every couple of years that you like to? Th- mix things up but um you know i would totally down be down to try something that is more of a feast from another country it's also much easier to share That's one of the big things about like western style um you know thanksgiving or 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 christmas is that there's this one big beast in the middle that you have to like one person has to carve and divvy up between everybody and they have to wait for their plates and everyone's got the same amount of things on their plates or roughly if you have lots of like tapas or or sharing plates or whatever, like Indian food. It's just easier to do stuff. Yeah. So maybe I'll try and instigate that and
0: suffer the wrath of the people saying this isn't Christmas, but, you know, whatever. I'm incredibly jealous of all of these (laughs) these dishes. I think everybody seems to have had a healthy and happy and maybe hopefully hangover-free New Year's, Christmas, whatever you might have been celebrating, but... Speaking of hangovers, what are you drinking this Sunday lunchtime for you?
1: I'm drinking Diet Coke. I'm not And I don't appreciate that, that you assume that I have a hangover. Therefore, I'm <laughs> drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> and I'm not doing dry January anyway. I'll tell you why. It's because it's pissing outside. It's absolutely bucketing down. And it's going to be like this for the next 10 days. Uh, and I don't want to go outside to buy anything.
0: So I'm just drinking Diet Coke because it's here. Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair. I, we, weirdly, I'm also being reasonably abstemious as well. I, Again, not because I want to or need to or the doctors <laughs> told me to, but um, I, I, we've been cleaning out the house in the last couple of days and I've been busting my butt and I just wanted something really refreshing and cool. So I think I've mentioned this on an early episode, but I love Arizona iced tea, the green tea with honey and ginseng.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I don't really like iced tea. Ordinarily, I would never um, eat it or order it in a restaurant. I don't even like normal iced tea. I don't even like the rest of the Arizona iced teas. But I love this stuff. It's absolutely delicious, and you can now get it at Costco here in the UK. You can f- find it in a couple of places, but it's quite difficult. And it comes in a very sensibly sized five hundred ml bottle, and not in the gigantic cans that you get in America, which I cannot even get halfway yeah,
1: through. It bothers me anything when they do large stuff in a can, um, because you can't, like, re-top them to save them for the day. Oh, God, that's good. I think someone needs to invent a thing that goes over large cans to keep them fresh. They did. There's, like, a
0: plastic, almost like a rubberized plastic thing that you can put over it.
1: Well, I buy a lot of crowlers, and so if someone doesn't like the beer I like, and their crowlers are... Like you know, two pint size. Uh, I don't drink that all in one sitting, so maybe I should invest in one of those. There you go, or just yeah. in, in, in you know, or just take on the challenge and not be a wuss I'm drinking two <laughs> pints in a sitting. Yeah, come on. <laughs> um, well, so I, I guess we're we're hitting January with a dry January by accident.
0: Yeah, I, again, not 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 intended, but here we are. There's there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, I'm, I'm I'm dying to hear what you ate in New York because I know that you had spent a lot of time and energy researching it.
1: Yes, yeah. So um, we were trying. We were staying in the meatpacking district on the border of uh, the West Village and a couple other places. Really cool area. We were staying at the the Dream Hotel, which was a lot of fun. Um, if you get a chance to stay there, it's it's good. Um, and we were trying to get into mamafuku, but it was just, there was no chance. It was just booked up. Was which was, one? The mamafuku noodle. Oh, yeah. No chance. Absolutely not. Um, and so we were just bouncing around some ideas. We landed in the morning and then we we're like, okay, we need to go get some lunch, which is where I had the best thing. But what we had for dinner that night is we went to I chef Masahara Muramoto's place. Who I freaking adore. If you watch any of the Iron Chef stuff, he's uh, he's he's brilliant. Um, but obviously a well-renowned uh, Michelin star chef in his own right, and the the restaurant. That We went to uh, Mar- Marimoto's in in New York. It's absolutely massive. It's incredibly designed. Wonderful uh, ergonomic layout and like all these different levels. And there's a downstairs with these private dining booths. And um, there's a whole area where you can just look at the – watch the guys making the sushi and et cetera. Uh, but probably 300 tops. It was crazy. Holy crap. It was huge. And my wife was like, this feels like a Vegas restaurant. Mm-hmm. But – Um, we, we could have, we could have gone and just given ourselves over to the chef, but we didn't really know what we were going to do. So ended up just sort of picking and choosing a bunch of different things. And we had this wonderful, uh, tuna tartare that came in this, this, um, ice bucket with all these little different condiments and then you would make it and um, add it and there was like the wasabi and then the, the sesame and the uh, uh pulverized chive and it was wonderful and then we had um what else did we have we had a carpaccio that was fantastic and also this firecracker shrimp and he was doing this riff on buffalo style uh, ro- uh buffalo style wings and he sort he of did it with rock shrimp instead and it was just wonderful and and the service was immaculate um one of the best dining experiences i've had from start to finish in wow. a long time but that wasn't the best thing i had while i was there for lunch that day we were wandering around and we found this place called How, How's noodle and it was like maybe a block down the street from us so still in the in the meatpacking uh district and it's uh shanghai food um, mainly, even though it says noodle, they do a lot of barbecue um, and a lot of hot pot as well. So we had a really good hot pot. it was freezing outside. We had a little spicy hot pot. But then we ordered this thing, which was a deep fried or fried um, pork chop. and I've had those before, and I thought, yeah, this will be good. But this was absolutely transcendent because rather than a normal pork chop, which is like you know quite lean, I don't know where they put this uh, cut this from. It must have been more from the the leg, but it was like riddled with, with marbling. So it was like you you eat it and it was like pops of fat in your in your mouth alongside the sweet meat. And it had been fried in peanuts and panko, and so it had this crunchy yet uh, familiar flavor to it, and then it had this um spicy soy dipping sauce on the side. It was hands down the best pork product I've had since my first time having porchetta. It was wow. unreal. So if you ever get a chance, they have two locations. One in um, uh, one in the meatpacking, and another one I can't remember exactly where it is, but I don't think it's too far. It might be Chelsea. Um, and their noodles were great. Uh, you know, it's good when it was a high end, not high end place, but it was like um, more of a modern place that you know you think might be a bit fusion. And we were the only white people there. Like mm-hmm. it was just you know hundreds of, of Chinese families going there for 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 lunch, and it was mm-hmm. it was ridiculously good. Nice. So, so next envious. time you're in New York, go check it out.
0: I will. I will. I'm, I'm looking for excuses to go to New York. Um, uh, so I will now find one and I'll add that to my ever-growing list of places to <laughs> eat in New York. Like the places I want to go because I always go there. And then, then now I have places to to go now uh, to add to that list. God damn it. Um, so <laughs> about yourself? Yeah. I, I I, mean, all the Christmas stuff. And I ate my body weight in mince pies. I, uh, I love mince pies. But the thing that I that really blew my mind is when when sir greg barnes and i were in shanghai uh, two and a half years ago filming we had uh jian bing which is this millet based almost like a crepe with fermented bean paste chili oil egg um, and then folded onto a um wonton a fried crispy wonton Mm -hmm. almost like a like a Looks like a burrito by the time you get it, but it's crispy, delicious, amazing, cheap, and they're actually surprisingly hard to find outside of Shanghai. I think there's pop-up places in New York and and... and
1: and How, how's Noodle. Yeah, I, I would imagine the Shanghai.
0: Um, but Greg found this place in London that is literally a hole in the wall. Uh, this, I mean, it can't be more than like two feet wide by four feet tall. This sort of window on greek street in soho and it's called pleasant lady jan bing and it's i was he's like go it's amazing he sent me a picture of it it looked good i was skeptical because these things tend to get lost in translation but it was unbelievable it was so flipping good and you can have uh these the fillings usually you don't really have a filling, but they have the opportunity to offer you Iberico char siu pork, cumin spiced lamb, or grilled miso chicken. And I had the cumin spiced lamb, and it was amazing absolutely amazing. In fact, my friend Cian, who I think sometimes listens to the show but is a total food dude, he uh posted it on, on his Instagram story. Uh, stories and said this was one of the best things I've eaten all year. And I met, sent him a message saying, "Isn't it great?" Which which version did you have? And he said, "Iberico pork fucked my brain. Almost went back." <laughs> <laughs> and from it, from from a, from a dude that uh, that likes his food, that's quite a statement. It's kind of funny that both
1: of our things were not not just
0: Chinese, Shanghai Chinese. Yeah.
1: Happy Chinese New Year in like two weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like well, a yeah, month a, actually. A month.
0: A month. Yeah. Uh, Almost a month today, actually. So, yeah, anyway, that was good. But we are deviating slightly from our normal format, if you will. And instead of talking about the consumables, we are talking about the art of preparation. Yes. Uh, so we are talking S for supplies. This is a, this was your idea. This is a really good idea to talk about the things that one has in one's kitchen, what you need, what you don't need, uh, and everything in between. What? Why did you want to do this? I
1: wanted to do this earlier in the year, but the timings of how when we were going to get to S was just you know not right because we were doing it like whether or not we would use this as a buying guide for Christmas but don't buy stuff like that for other people if you don't know they're going to like you know cooking stuff is t- cooking utensils and tools buying for someone is tough just because you don't know how competent they are or or you know how you don't want to give them a chore so this is more like maybe grandma gave you some money for christmas or maybe you've got the holiday sales in england um in january so you're starting a new year you want to figure out that you want to do more cooking but you're overwhelmed by the millions of things you're told that you're supposed to have, or you've got
0: a you've got a kitchen full of cooking utensils,
1: or you have got like 18 cookbooks for Christmas as well.
0: Yeah, and and what do you do? You need uh, versus what um, can you throw in the bin? Absolutely, or and so
1: a- we sat down independently and kind of came to the same conclusions of the three or four baseline things that we mentioned like in burgers it's like the bread and the bun uh, and the and the patty and with pizza it's the sauce and the and the dough you know what are the three baseline things that you need to get right before you faff around with your garlic zesters garlic zester your lemon zester and your garlic crusher which you should never have either of those because they're completely bs wastes of time but totally random rant over. So what are the war horses of your uh war horses and workhorses of your kitchen that you should start with? How do you find the right things? How do you take care of them and how do you not get overwhelmed? So that's just generally what I wanted to put out there and provide a little bit of information as more of a educational podcast than a more of a discussion podcast. (laughs) So I think we need to start with the Big bad boy, the scariest uh, item in your house, the... My children. Uh, <laughs> the, scared, the the woman that lives under my house and screams at me at night. No, um, basically, the thing that you should have, you should spend uh, a little bit of money on, know how to take care of, and it will take care of you forever, and that is a kitchen knife. That is a chef's knife. This is what you should start with. You don't need... All the millions of Cutco blockets that you know you pay a hundred bucks for and you get fifteen different knives, do not ever buy those. They're glorified hacksaws. The only reason they can cut through a Doc Martin and then julienne and a, 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 a tomato is because they have hacksaw ridges on them. Basically, uh, they are as soon as they lose their their edge, their bite, you cannot resharpen them. They are waste, they're unbalanced, uh, and you will be regretting your decision. What you need to do is find a chef's knife that you feel comfortable with. Uh, When I say chef's knife, I'm talking like what you envision as a knife. You don't need anything that looks square or like a samurai sword. You're looking in the seven to nine inch range uh, for a decent chef's knife. From there... You have a couple of different decisions to make. If you want to go with a European style versus a Japanese style, that just defines like how the thing is made. Um, the the big difference between European style and like a couple of brands that you may know of, uh, like uh, Wusthof um, is a relatively well-known European one, uh, is Alex, you know what the, the, the tang is? And it's not the thing that they go to space and drink. Tang? Yes, t- a tang on a on a knife. I do not. So basically the metal blade is then honed into a what's what I'm looking for almost like a foundation that gets um, slid into the into the handle mm-hmm. and that's the part that meets the uh handle it's called the tang um, and on European style knives, the tang goes all the way to the end, and sometimes you can see it popping out the far end where the handle has a little metal nub at the far end of the handle. That means the knife is continued all the way down um, to that side, and generally means that a European knife is going to be more heavy um, and you know better for you know breaking things down. But you just need to know what you're doing as opposed to a Japanese style, which are half tang or hidden tangs, where they only go into like a little nub halfway down into the Handle or maybe even less less than that, and that gives more of a a light knife, a more balanced knife. Um, there's no one way or another. That it's all about what preferences you like. I personally have uh, my chef's knife is is, is Japanese and more on what I have later on. Um, but you need to just go to a, a store, most like Sola Tablas or um, other culinary stores will have a chopping section for you to test out good knives. And yes, it's scary to think, okay, I'm going to have to drop between like 80 to 150 bucks on a knife. But if you take care of it properly, you'll never need another knife again for at least 10, 15 years if you take care of it. And that sort of brings me to the most important part for me is care. If you have a good one, keep it sharp. You don't cut yourself with a sharp knife. You cut yourself with a blunt or dull knife because you're forcing it. And it will slip. Yep. And besides. Maybe if you feel confident enough um, with a honing metal, which is those things that you see the guys in the kebab shop doing when they run the knives back and forth, they're just re-honing a slightly um, out-of-line edge. That's not sharpening. That's just keeping it true. If you really need to sharpen it, please go to a professional. Do not run it through one of those uh, pull-through sharpeners. They mess up your knife so much.
0: What about a whetstone?
1: Well, that's what a professional will be whetstoning your knife, and so if you, it's one of those things where it takes a while to get really good at whetstoning. To the fact that I don't even whetstone, I have I'm actually waiting for a friend uh, this afternoon to drop off their chef's knives, and I'm taking all the knives to on Monday to my 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 knife guy to get them all taken care of. Um, that's what they'll do. They'll whetstone them, but I just don't have the time, patience, or uh, Jedi mind skills to actually get them to where I want. Um, generally, I would suggest getting them sharpened every six to eight months At the, if you're fairly robust with your cooking. Um, and it should only cost you a couple of like 15 bucks to get them sharpened per knife. And if you're spending that much time on them, it's, it's well worth the, the time.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, uh, that's uh, what I do. I have mine. Prof- my my main knives. I have a couple of utility knives that I can do myself, but uh, I I have mine professionally done.
1: And how do you wash your how do you wash your knives by hand? Thank you. You said dishwasher. I would come to your house and I would track you down.
0: Ironically, the only knives that get washed in the dishwasher uh, that are not just you know. Normal eating knives are are, are steak knives because they have a serrated edge uh, and they needed they they need it.
1: Yeah, steak knives are fine to go into the into the dishwasher. the The large knife, it's too dangerous. It's too violent of an environment for them to be in. It's not good for the handle. Um, also, it's the metal if a good chef knife the metal is so thin that it's just gonna bend it and you're gonna be in a world of hurt and then you know once you've found the knife that you feel comfortable comfortable with learn how to use it just practice chopping um, a knife works best when it's moving in two different directions so up down and and across think choo choo train think you know the locomotion um, and your your knife is going to be able to work much much faster than if you're just trying to chop down because you're creating more friction that way. So a good knife is where you want to start. Uh, what do you have as your as your chef knife?
0: I have two. Um, and I, I can't remember if I talked about this on any episode, but there's a street in Tokyo that is sort of north of Akihabara. It's where all the restaurant supply stores are. And, mm-hmm. you know, so you can get everything, everything you want there. But I... Go to this place called Cutlery Subaya and I they're really nice there, they're really friendly, and I get my knives there. So I have two knives from them made by different manufacturers. I have one um Japanese chef's knife. So that that standard shape that you were talking about. That's my most recent purchase. Uh I got that. It's I think I sent you a picture of it. It's one of my most prized possessions. It was sharpened over sixty-seven days. It was handmade. It can cut through space and time. <laughs> um, I I absolutely love it. I keep it out of reach in its box. Uh, I only ever use it for tasks I feel that are appropriate for it, like cutting meat off of, off of you know, off of cooked turkey, for example. Uh, and then I, I have a um, Santoku, which is my everyday Japanese knife. A Santoku is a... Um, it's slightly like a chef's knife, but it's got a, it's got a taller blade profile. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, santoko in Japanese means three virtues. And the three virtues are its ability to cut through fish, vegetables, and meat without any problem. And it, it has a flatter um, kind of profile. And it can do up and down chopping as opposed to rocking cutting because of that shape. So um, it's it's great. They're both wooden handles. I I love those two knives. Um those are the ones I and I have like I have pairing knives and I have utility knives that are just um they are Heinkel.
1: Perfectly fine. Perfectly yeah. fine. Uh European style, um, you know, heavy duty. We'll get the stuff done and
0: and we'll take a bit of bashing around. Yeah, that that's exactly what I use them for. Um and, and that's that's really all I need. Nice. I'll just cover mine
1: real quick. I have a nine inch, um, shun chef knife, um, with that wonderful dappling effect in the, in the, in the knife in the, t- in the higher section. I've sharpened it so much that it is getting thinner, um, and it doesn't have a, uh, finger guard. Uh, a lot of n- uh, European style knives will have where the knife actually comes to a thicker, e- um, edge at the, at the heel. So you can't slice all the way through. And I'll get onto why that drives me personally nuts uh to have that heel there uh, in a second um, and then i have a nakiri knife which is a, a japanese vegetable knife it's more of a rectangle style think about half the size of a meat cleaver as far as like how deep it is so it's, so it's just like a rectangle and that's just for me like mowing down a bunch of vegetables and then yeah that's exactly can.
0: what they're for that yeah uh, yeah and if they, you feel um...
1: confident you can use them
0: to scoop and and maneuver fruit as well but only if you feel solid that you know what you're doing with your hands yeah and they work well for things like um squash or anything that's that's got a thick skin
1: yeah absolutely um so yeah, again i have some good paring knives i have some other stuff um the only caveat i will make on on when you can go super cheap it's uh, if you do any uh home butchering or, um and and get a boning knife do not buy a, 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 a name brand or or like a ridiculously expensive uh boning knife it needs to be Plastic handle, flexible uh, tip, and uh, sixteen bucks tops. That's all you need because they will break, they will get chipped, they will just—they're—they're they're, they're for taking apart a body. They're not things of uh, immaculate beauty like Alex was saying, like you know your perfect roast meat that you're wanting to carve up. That's not what these things are for. So go cheap on the um, cheap but reliable on the boning knife. Yeah, which brings us to our second most important thing that i want and it perfectly i want you to have in your kitchen and it perfectly lines up to what we were just talking about which is when you're cutting what are you cutting on cutting boards so rule number one take your biggest knife lay it corner to corner on whatever cutting board you have if you don't have at least two inches of clearance on the other side your knife is too big for the board so you need a bigger board otherwise you're It's dangerous. You're not going to be in contact with the board the entire time. You can slip off it. Just make sure you have the appropriate board for the appropriate knife.
0: Yeah, and I never, ever want to see a cutting board in anybody's house that is not made of wood or plastic. If you have um, um, glass, those glass ones, which I just threw out of our grandmother's house, I made my mother-in-law get rid of hers, or metal... You can sometimes get them made out of like um, like stone, like almost ceramics.
1: Yep. Yeah, so I know a lot of people, um, who, family members who will remain nameless, who um, had a countertop refurnished with whether it was a resin or a, a composite, or I, I think it might have been like a faux granite or whatever it might be, and they asked the people to keep. Uh, a section of it to be turned into a cutting board. No, please don't ever do that. You need it. it. It's just too. It's it's too heavy and also brittle for the knife to be going through. And you're gonna mess up your knives. And it's very slick. As Alex said, wood or plastic. And there are variations in wood. There are fast woods and there are slow woods. And there's even bamboo, which technically is a grass, which you'll see. But they're relatively slow. Surfaces when you're cutting on them, which isn't a terrible thing, but like I prefer, I prefer a heavy-duty, heavy wood chopping board for uh, my, my purposes. So I'm guessing you have a, a wood block and and plastic blocks.
0: I have I have a wood block which I almost exclusively use for bread. Okay. Um, and then my I have a variety of um sized. Plastic ones, some with grooves for cat, for when I'm carving meat and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, and then just plastic.
1: So I have um, I have a booze block, which is the butcher block of choice for most people. Um, I will say you'll you'll see a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, you can use your booze block for for vegetables. You can use it for meat. You can use it for cooked meat, raw meat, which is true if you take care of it and, and, and um, oil it and wax it uh, periodically. But you have to also know how to treat it after you've put raw meat on there. And if you've got a heavy-ass uh, booze block that you need to get into the into the sink or whatever, that's a pain in the ass. So generally, if I'm doing any raw meat, I will have a specific plastic cutting board that is only for raw meat, and vegetables will go in the wood. But if you do want to do raw meat, you have to salt your wood block after the end of every use, leave it overnight, then sweep it away. Um, it's a lot of hassle, so save yourself the time. Just use the chop it though, the, the boost block for um, cooked or vegetable prep.
0: Yeah, and there's there's a lot of uh, scaremongering about using wooden chopping boards, and actually, it's all it's a lot it's a lot of um, hoo-ha over nothing. In fact. Salmonella and most bacteria multiplies way quicker on a plastic board than it will on a wooden board. In fact, Salmonella doesn't survive overnight on a wooden board. But in on, on a plastic board it, you you it will thrive. So you have to you have to take care of them irrespective of the material. But plastic is just a little easier to get into a the dishwasher, which you would never put a wood block into the dishwasher,
1: uh, or b into the sink. And uh, my butcher that I go take classes at, uh, we salt down the the surfaces after every session, and
0: just in case anything that is going to try and make a home there, it's not going to survive. So, point taken. Yeah, no, I so I think uh, it's it the the key is the material here to use, and 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 wooden and plastic are really the only things. So I think. Uh, yeah. So those those are the two key ones, the, the knife and the board on which you use said knife. Another thing that actually, of came up on Reddit, actually, a thread about um, cooking pet peeves. And that's when you see people chopping on plates. It's the same thing oh. as chopping on, on a marble. Don't do it. It's dangerous. I mean, it's doubly dangerous because you're not operating on a flat surface. So just chop on a fricking chopping board, you Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, it's, oh God, that just drives me nuts. So we've talked about how to cut the food, where to cut the food, but how does one cook the food? So what is the most important thing to have in your kitchen base base level starting off um, that will be your multitasker uh, as you start to cook or even me or any other established home cook will live and die by these things, and that is a cast-iron skillet. And I'm sure you have a bunch, I have a bunch, and I'm sure both of ours are made by the same company. Lodge. Lodge. Lodge are the grandfathers of the OGs. They are the original cast-iron Makers, um, and you think you see these giant, heavy, black looking things in, in kitchen stores and think, Oh wow, that's so heavy, that must cost an arm and a leg. They cost nothing, like, you can get a nine inch or 11 inch uh cast iron skillet for less than 30 bucks. in. The oh, box. yeah,
0: I mean, go to go to uh a Walmart uh, for real, that's where I got mine. Mm-hmm. They are absolutely amazing, absolutely yeah, and so amazing.
1: I have. Multiple. I have uh, a ten inch, a five inch, and a griddle pan, all made by Lodge, all uh, cast iron, um, all different uses that I you know want to have the ability to reach and grab them for. But the ten inch one is the 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 original one that I used, the one that I uh, reached for. That is again the most seasoned, and that's important. People get freaked out about cast iron, and there's a lot of bad science going on around that as well about care and getting them to be at a point where they're like not a non-stick surface so first of all why is cast iron good it is heavy which means it heats and stays hot uh it heats evenly um and it absorbs heat all those three things were the same thing so heat distribution and absorption are why you want this it can also go anywhere you want and you can just basically beat it to death and well You'd use it to beat someone to death, actually. They're so heavy. Like, you know, you, you're you not going to break it. You're not going to dent it. You're not going to, uh, besides one one thing, you're not going to ever hurt it. So you... It's great for searing steaks in the French style. It's great for uh, frying, uh, you know, deep frying in oil. It's great for sausage. You can build... not Sorry, not sauces. It's great for roasts. You can build them, uh, pan sear them on the, on the stovetop and then throw them in the oven and not have to think about anything. They're not good for sauces because they're reactive and they're not coated. Um, but some people still do it. Don't cook tomato sauces in it. It just not, doesn't work very well. You get this weird metallic taste. But as we mentioned you've got to season them. So Alex, do you have a, a seasoning protocol that you go through with your lodge pants?
0: I, I do. But one of the other things that I wanted to mention that, we, that we, that we do with ours is pizza.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I know multiple people that do pizzas in their, in their, um, their larger lodge, uh, cast iron skillets.
0: We love doing it. Um, they they are so good for that type of thing. They do a really good like if you want to do like a pan pizza in the oven because they get so freaking hot. And like you say, they're nice, thick, and, and metallic, and that really works really well. Um, in terms of seasoning, I use the Kenji method, which of course, which is um, I take half a cup of um, sea salt, kosher salt, and then rub it in with a paper towel, and that scours it basically. Gets mm-hmm. all the stuff, then you wash it, and then you oil it down with um, a paper towel soaked in an uns- unsaturated, highly unsaturated, so corn, vegetable, canola oil, and they're way more reactive, so they polymerize better with the surface. Um, there's the myth that bacon fat and lard does well, but uh, yeah, no, that doesn't. That's not the case. Those those oils of corn, canola, rape, rapeseed, vegetable. Once you've done that or once I once I've done that I I stick it in a hot oven for 30 minutes. And then that's it.
1: Yeah, I mean there are variations on this. Um, wire wool to scour it if you got any like areas that you don't like the look of. And it, although it may look smooth, it's pitted with lots and lots of little little grooves. And that's what you're doing with the oil is you're heating it up to make a polymer to make it flat. You don't want any pooling. You want it as thin of a layer of oil as possible. And then generally, uh, turn the pan upside down so it doesn't pull as it heats up, and put a piece of tin foil uh, on the rack below it. I do 500 degrees or as hot as my oven can go. For an hour, and then turn the oven off, and then just let it cool down in the oven, uh, and then see how it how it feels. If it feels a little tacky, I just do it again. Um, I'll actually I'm actually doing it today or tomorrow. On my on it's that time of year where I want to redo it. Um, and you'll get this basically smooth like glass like surface if you treat it right. You will not mess that up by washing it. This is the big myth. Water does not destroy um a good sear a good season on on a cast iron you do not put it in the dishwasher that will mess it up
0: yeah and you don't you you don't want to scrub at it with a scouring pad either no you just want to wipe
1: um the 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 uh the cast iron skillet with you know a a a sponge or a towel to wipe up most of the stuff and a little bit of water is not going to make any difference it's it's fine you can also put salt in there uh and scrub that down does anything that's got a bit of an abrasion on it that will you know, pick everything up is all you need to do. Uh, and it will be with you for the rest of your life. I'm not joking. Um, they are indestructible if you treat them well.
0: Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I think that, that's one of the greatest things. And again, the large ones are just so flipping good. Uh, to, to, on, on top of that, I have a few of the green pans. Have you come across those? No, what's that? The, uh, so green pan is a um, ceramic non, a non-stick pan. And I absolutely love them. They're they're dimpled. The, the 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 cooking surface is dimpled, so the oil sits in and the heat the, the it gets hot so much faster than any of my other pans. I absolutely love them. I've never I've had them for like four or five years. They're still nonstick as anything. Uh, they because they're ceramic they they heat up much much faster, um, and the, the heat is even as well. Um, so whenever I'm doing anything that I want, I really don't want like pancakes. Um, I use that omelets because my kids eat the hell out of omelets. I I just love them, absolutely love them.
1: I I'm looking at them now. That they're not that expensive as well. No. they uh, are they oven safe. I mean, I guess it depends on the handle.
0: So okay, so they say that they are oven safe up to any temperature achievable in a in a in a home or commercial oven.
1: That's a that's a uh, what do the kids say? That's a weird flex.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's uh, all right. Let's put it into a pizza oven and see what happens. Well, Um, exactly. So I I, I think we're on the same page there, like a a, a heavy duty um, cooking vessel that is going to provide you with consistent, uh, reliable heat that you treat well. You know, that's start there and then you can move on to, you know, your, your walks and your, um, other, uh, cooking utensils and, and uh, what do they call You know, uh, slow cookers and Dutch ovens and stuff like that, which in Lodge makes fantastic. Lodge Dutch makes ovens.
0: an, out yeah, screw all of the, uh, the Crusades.
1: Uh, hey, hey, the, hey, I have a lot of the Le Crusades. Let yeah, know.
0: I know. But what, you know, the, the Lodge ones are just as good. I don't care what anybody says.
1: I agree. Actually, I gave my sister-in-law one for Christmas. There, yeah, they're, The Lodge
0: one. So they're amazing.
1: So the last thing of the the things that I feel like you need in your home to start with, uh, we've told we talked about how to cut, where to cut, and how to cook what you've cut. How do you know when it's done or how much of it you have? And cooking is a science. It is math at its base level. Um, you need to understand what numbers and heat do to things, and that's all. Sorry, time and heat do to things. That's what cooking is, and. The reason I added this one is I was back over in, in in Massachusetts, and I like to cook with my tools because I know how they work. So if I'm in a new kitchen and I don't have the things that that I know how to cook, because uh, I I am very formulaic, and that in that sense it it gives me some anxiety. So not knowing the internal temperature of something is absolutely terrifying to me, and not knowing the heat of a some of an oven is absolutely terrifying to me. So measuring and a thermometer is something that you should have out the gate i have a thermopen probe thermometer which is the gold standard but you don't have to go that at that extreme there yes are, you do there well no there yes, are perfect okay all right I, I i will i will relent to your uh overriding opinion on this one
0: you cannot cook at home without a thermopen
1: you think there's no one else in the market that can come close, or are nope. you just saying it to, uh, p- to be argumentative?
0: Nope. I am saying that you cannot do it without a Thermapen – or th- well, actually, the, the company – it's actually a beautiful British company. They're called Thermoworks. Yep. Um, the Thermapen is weapons-grade. They make a much cheaper version called the Thermopop which is um only 33 bucks and
1: yeah cuz a is almost 100
0: thermopen is is 100 bucks um get the thermo pop or if you are a cool guy get the therm thermopen because it can do uh things like candying mm-hmm. it, you can if you're if you ever deep fry it it will stick in frying oil no problem won't even no 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 problem at all uh, but the, those two, you have to have one or the, if you ever cook meat, I use mine every single day, yep, multiple times a day. I yep. could not. And if you say that you can cook a turkey or a piece of beef without a thermometer, you're a terrible cook. You can't, you cannot do it. I don't care who you yep, are. Yep.
1: There's, there's, the, there's the hand uh, method for like understanding the doneness of meat where you like move your fingers around and you get to n- n- remember what the firmness feels like. And that's someone who's been on the line for generations to understand the reactiveness of meat. However, it's still like a piece of meat can be off or reacting differently you need the hard science you need the number in there and i was cooking a chicken i was doing my chorizo chicken which is a wonderful recipe um that i had been doing in the winter time you just put a bunch you could put a whole chicken on top of potatoes and cut off cut up a bunch of um chorizo with lemon and, and other stuff anyway i'm used to the chickens from whole food and they are they react in a certain way and then i bought a chicken from a more main, you know normal mainstream supermarket and i was like i didn't i was on the east coast so i didn't have my thermapen i was like i couldn't figure out why it wasn't reacting the way it should be it's because those ones had way more water in them than the ones i'm used to cooking and the only thing that saved me was someone ran across the street and grabbed a thermometer for me to make sure that it was cooking correctly. And so I'm so used to cooking by numbers, not by time. Uh, that Oh, sorry, by heat, not by time, that it made me uncomfortable to be without it. It's like stepping out without your underwear on. It's just weird.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely love my, my Thermapen. I think that with,
1: so with all those four things that we just talked about, your knife, your cutting board, your cast iron skillet, and your Thermapen, you can go forth and challenge basically. You can take on any culinary challenge at a, um, with some level of confidence. There are obviously a lot of other things that you need in the kitchen to do stuff, um, that are more specific. Obviously, we haven't even touched upon saucepans, um, but and boiling water and all that fun stuff. But these three things will get you through most, if not all fairly solid recipes. The fight us. If you don't agree, if there's anything that you, you feel that you absolutely need to have that would um, sup, uh, supersede one of the four we just mentioned, let us know. But the thing I wanted to sort of move on to was what is the thing that you which is not one of those four things that you cook with that you realized, huh, I could not live without this.
0: Um, well, like we've already mentioned, Dutch ovens. I use my I use my Dutch oven a lot. Uh, it's so versatile. It, I, I slow cookers are stupid. If you have one, get rid of it. Uh, you don't need one. They take up cupboard and closet space and counter space. You don't you don't need one. And I will tell you the things that I use uh, instead and why. I use my Dutch oven. Uh, it's it's a much better way of cooking things like chilies and stews and soup soup or anything like that than, than a slow cooker because you can braise things first and then build up the layers uh, as well. Um, and the other that I I didn't think I would be in love with as I am or ne- use nearly as frequently uh, is my Instant Pot. That thing is unreal. It's pressure cooker.
1: Oh, oh, oh! I, I know so many people that have been raving about these, yeah. and I'm constantly getting like uh, retargeted ads for these things. They're not that expensive, no. and they seem to be pretty good. So, what do you use it for?
0: Well, here's the thing: it's one of those things that is the devil's incarnate when you, um, when you when you define it because it's a it's a multi-purpose tool, uh, and usually they all they do lots of things badly. This does everything it's, it says it's going to do really, really well. So it's yeah. So it does. It's a pressure cooker primarily, programmable, safe, natural re- pressure release uh, pressure cooker. It's a slow cooker if you ever needed one. It's a rice cooker. It's a steamer. It sautes and sears and it makes yogurt and it keeps things warm. The yogurt thing is weird. I don't know if anybody that uses uses that, but I make tagine, lamb tagine in it all the time in about half an hour. And it's you know it's shoulder of lamb, which is a tough you know cut of meat, and it falls apart. I absolutely love that thing. We eat a lot of rice, and it cooks rice as good as any dedicated rice cooker. Uh, I am super impressed by that. Bet that technology.
1: One of my I have a Korean friend who 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 bought one um, here, and he was like we. Eat- Crazy amounts of rice, and we have a dedicated rice cooker. But like this thing does rice as good as any of those other um, yeah. uh, dedicated rice cookers.
0: I made uh, I made butter chicken in it last night uh, for all of us, and it was divine, absolutely divine. I've been looking at it; and it's running out of counter space,
1: um, and I want to tag up on your on your on your fear of multi-purpose tools. That in a ter- multi-purpose sounds, as you pointed out. A jack of all trades. It doesn't do any of them well. But I live by the Alton Brown mantra of of multitaskers. I only have multitaskers in my house. Like well, I think
0: that, there's a difference between. That's my point.
1: That's why I specified multipurpose versus multitask.
0: Yes, because I think, you know, you look at a knife and, you know, and I, and I learned this from, from Martin Yan, Yan Kang Cook. Like, you don't need a garlic press or a garlic twist or anything that's garlicky because you just put the garlic clove in its skin it. on the cutting board you take the flat side of your knife and you hit your your hand on it and bam it smashes the garlic that comes right off and you're halfway through mincing it that's mm-hmm. a, a knife is a great thing but don't use it to open beer bottles or anything like that <laughs> but, <laughs> or yeah.
1: uh you know dental surgery um the the only multitasker in my house and I hope it's the same for all of you out there is a fire extinguisher that is the only multitasker I have in my kitchen um that I hope to never use. It's weird to have something that you put uh, buy and never want to use, kind of like insurance, I guess, um, for us Americans. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, mine thing that I have that I, I can't imagine life without that doesn't fall in those four categories is something that every single British person listening to this will have and will be shocked to hear that they do not exist in America, and it's a kettle. Kettles just do not. Have a place in American kitchens, unless maybe like uh, there's weird pockets of of Englishisms around uh, the country. And I use it for everything. The number one thing that drives me nuts is how long, like, I'm at someone else's house that doesn't have a kettle and they're making pasta. It's like, okay, the water will be boiling in 30 minutes. So I'll catch up with you then. Put the kettle on. It's going to take like 70% of the cooking time. We
0: we use, I mean, you know, we're in a British home and we use ours. Uh, you know, several times in the morning for coffee and tea, and then several times during during meal prep, and then throughout the day as well. I think the frustration for Americans is, is that because of the way your electrical grid is designed, it takes much longer for a kettle to boil in the U.S. than it does in the U.K. Because That's true. most kettles in the U.K. run at 2,800 watts. In the U.S., it's half that. Uh, so it would take you so much more well half the time at least when my wife came to visit me in college
1: uh one of the first times she brought uh an american rated uh hair dryer she plugged it into the socket here and uh flames came out <laughs> cool cuz it, it was so overpowered for the device um so yeah that's that's true and one of my favorite stats is that um during an england during england football games soccer for the rest of the world um the national grid the power grid has to step up during uh, halftime because they know everyone's going to go pop the kettle on and yeah. so the, the the energy drain is substantial enough that they actually have to account for it um i think americans also they are far more likely to have you know your keurig um coffee machines or your Nespressos and they're like, why do I need another thing that can just boil water when I have this? I'm like, well, you can't pour that into a anything. Um, so generally, you know, I I try to convince you only a huge one if you don't feel like it, but we have a pretty substantial one. And to your point, I use it every single every single day. I can't imagine my life without it. So if there's any one that you guys are thinking about, like Alex mentioned the 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 Instapot, but if there are other Devices or tools that you're like, oh crap! I could never live my life without this. Like a, I know people talk about sousing a lot, and I'm wondering if that's one that
0: people feel they can't handle uh, not having. I mean, on I, the original four. Even my instant pot, I I, don't, I certainly don't use it every day. I probably use it twice a week. But the one thing I do use every day is a is a good, accurate cylinder, teaspoon and tablespoon measuring. Like it's it's got. You know, it's one piece of plastic on one end is, is a deep cylindrical teaspoon and the other end is a deep cylindrical tablespoon. I use those things all the damn time. And the other one, which I, I use multiple times a day, is a good digital corkscrew. scale. Yeah. Of <laughs> course. <Sorry. spear>. No, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a digital
1: scale. Yep. Yep. And 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 knowing how to recalibrate it when it gets off is
0: key. Uh, knowing how to use the Terra functionality is absolutely key as well. I use a, a Salter uh, kitchen digital scale. They're like ten bucks, mm-hmm. and I absolute. I couldn't. I could not cook without that thing.
1: So if the 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 listeners find this helpful i was just thinking that in the future whether it's a, a one-off or to do with a letter you know we're, we're scratching the surface on like what the equipment is but i also think um what are the basic ingredients that i always have in my house could be a nice secondary follow-up episode what kind of salt what kind of pepper what kind of flour are the base levels and then all the way through to you know There are some old wives' tales about cooking like um, that are somewhat true, like a pint's a pound the world around. That just means a pint of water always always weighs a pound. But as an English pint is two ounces more than an American pint, what are we talking about here? Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, when when someone says, um, you know, a cup of flour, did you know that, you know... It, flour can be compressed, so it is a scoop and sweep method is what they're talking about, not a scoop and pack, which is what they mean for for sugar. So you need to necessarily think about those once you feel confident with the four items we just talked about.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, that's a good one, actually. I didn't even thought about that.
1: Yeah, I don't want to take. I don't want to take up another. You know letter where it can be an ingredient but maybe when we circle around the horn or do a one-off episode around specific times of year uh, or the audience can say this was stupid don't do it again so let us know
0: (laughs) yeah do let us know and again do chime in with and what what equipment you have what equipment you have that you can't live without if you've got a favorite knife or or pan or chopping board or anything like that i think the only other thing that i use probably abnormally is my weber gas grill my little 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 um Kind of tabletop one that sits outside. I have a I have a the, the kettle as well, which I use less frequently, but I use that thing three or four times a week, rain or shine. I couldn't couldn't yeah. couldn't live without it. Um,
1: I actually grilled in um, New Year's Eve um, in Massachusetts, and I had my umbrella out, so I wasn't letting the, the the water get onto the grill, but I was still out there flipping my chicken. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do love my grill, and uh, I'm just terrified about what this rain's doing to it right now. Yeah, it's destroying it. <laughs> yes, it is destroying it. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's it from, from my side. I'm sorry this was a lot of m- me you know yelling at people for making mistakes and, Alex. and another thing <laughs> if you do this i will come to your home and tell you you're wrong uh yeah so so antagonize me uh, send, tag me in of three of your horrible culinary decisions yes like, or or give wrong. us
0: some uh, some tips on uh, on what we can add to our, our repertoire if you will uh, but until next time everybody
1: be well